0: What's up everybody, welcome back to another episode of the River Blast Podcast, I'm Noah Hiles. I'm Alex Dumpfin, and we're a little calmer this week. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I would say we're a lot calmer. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say we're any more satisfied, I would say we're probably just as disappointed.
1: No, yeah, we're definitely disappointed, but I think that's, maybe that's a worse thing. That we got so worked up and we had so much to say last week. that It was like, okay, we we have to just let it all out. And now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, they, they blow a game in the 13th inning because they couldn't trust Richard Rodriguez to pitch an inning at any point. And then they lose a game on Sunday. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's yeah, talk well, about that.
0: Well, that, I think that's a good where, uh, place to start. So we'll just talk about this last Milwaukee series. Um, normally we record on Tuesday nights, uh, I have something going on on Tuesday, so we're recording on Monday, so we won't have any analysis for you on Tuesday's game against the Braves. We hope it went well, we hope that Stephen Brault continues to dominate 3-0. Pirates are 3-0 in the three games he started this year. You're putting year. that on the line right I now. I am, I am. So, hopefully 4-0 and when you're listening to this, but, uh, we're gonna break down the Brewers series. Overall, Ah. Uh, A series of... I mean, they should have probably won three of those four games. Yeah, or at least split. Or at least split. Um, The first game... Remind me what happened in the first game on Thursday.
1: Ass-whooping. Just a flat out. Yeah,
0: I thought so. But then we go to the Friday night, and that was Archer, Mm -hmm. right? And he delivered... His first... His first outing since... I don't know how long. That was... You know, he got his first win since like April. Yeah. I so, think since
1: the second start of the season. Yeah.
0: So I mean it was it was an improvement from Archer. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, overall the offense has looked incredible. I think that was on display on Saturday where they scored 10 runs and still were not able to win the baseball game because they were playing from behind. They started off down 4 to nothing. 5 to nothing. 5 to nothing. Um, They battled back, took the lead, surrendered that lead on a play that, to me, goes down as probably one of the more embarrassing plays of the season so far, where you have Colin Moran corralling a fly ball in foul territory, Kevin Newman yells, you got it, Moran eases off, the ball falls to the ground, the next pitch, the ball is hit. Into the into the bell tower, as it's called now, and uh, you give you give the Brewers a lead. Obviously, the Pirates take it back. Felipe Vasquez just just poor timing to have his one bad outing of the year. Essentially, uh, they tie it. You can't depend on Rich Rod, so you have McCray in there too long. The Pirates leave the bases loaded, in extra innings with their best hitter at the plate. Um,
1: best two hitters.
0: Best two hitters at the plate. Yeah. Leave the bases loaded, can't get a run in. And you lose you lose a really heartbreaking game to Milwaukee to fall underneath 500, And then Sunday's game. You fall behind early again. You still get a decent start from Lyles, but you leave a lot of runners on scoring position on in scoring position. Especially after, you know, leading off. I mean, they've had a lot of leadoff doubles, I feel like. They had a lot in the Dodgers series. And they had a lot in this Milwaukee series, and they couldn't convert much from it at all. And out of all of that, you know, you have one win to take away. And I even forgot the one thing you're going to bring up, I'm sure, is we go back to the Saturday game. The guy who allowed that home run and the foul ball prior uh, was Liriano, but he should have never been in that situation.
1: No, Liriano is a starter. He has spent basically every inning of his career coming in... 300 career Major League starts, I believe 385 outings, something like that? And every single time he started one of those 300 starts, he was the first pitcher up. It was no outs, nobody on. He does not pitch well with inherited runners. So instead of being a little proactive about it and protecting a slight lead, Hurdle waits for, you know, things to get messy before going in, in there. And look, the yellow chum run was hardly tattooed. I think it was like at 345 feet, barely... You know, it bounced off it was a wall scraper. Mm-hmm. But you know, a home run's a home run. It doesn't matter if it, it would have gone home, yeah, would've gone a hundred other feet. So I don't really I think people were like panicking, like, oh no, no, Liriano can't get lefties out. It's like if that was hit to center field, who cares? I do not think any differently of Liriano as a reliever right now than I did before that home run. And the
0: guy he allowed it to is is the MVP. Yes. Is the and, MVP. And so I mean if every now and then he's gonna come in and in a situation that he's not familiar with, that he's not comfortable in and he's going to allow a cheap home run to one of the best hitters in the game. I'm fine with that. Like that, he should have. There should have been no runners on when he faced Christian Yelich. Yeah. Or at least runners on. He shouldn't have inherited no runners because Clay Holmes should have never started that inning. No, he really should not have. I'm and I kind of. I still have hope
1: that Clay Holmes may one day be this Jared Hughes-type pitching as you Noah know, gives me a, this big eye roll. I like the sinker. I, 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 I'm I not... But that doesn't mean that I want to give him the ball in the sixth inning. I know the Parts have three good relievers right now. And yeah, I know that makes it difficult to say, yeah, it's real easy to go to Liriano in the sixth, you know, with hindsight. <laughs> It wasn't good. And I want to go back to the Moran-Newman gate. Whenever Newman says, you got it, according to Hurdle. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, that's right where Moran, in Moran's case, you go for the ball until you hear something. You hear something, and then you
0: back off. That's the shortstop or the left fielder's job to call you off. Yes. And if you hear something, you back off.
1: I will also give the precursor that I don't think he would have caught that ball. You don't? No. If Newman would have kept his mouth shut, I don't think Moran would have caught that ball. I saw the way he was tracking, trying to, like, go in back penalty. He cannot go back on the ball to save his life.
0: Well, that's a whole problem that's a whole, itself, that's where a whole problem in you itself. can't get to that ball, where that's that's a major league... that's a That's a standard out that a major league third baseman needs to record. Yes. He had
1: another one this series whenever he missed third base on what should have been a double play ball. Well, yeah,
0: let's talk about that now. Well, but
1: I'm not done with the Newman. One last quick thought with the Newman. Newman literally running over from second base, making the dive, I think had a better chance of catching that ball than Moran tracking it backwards. And I think that's why Newman said you got it. Like, this is on you, man. Go for it.
0: Yeah, but it's somewhat, I he mean... He shouldn't have said yeah, anything. Yeah, Newman, Newman's a guy, he's a first-round draft pick. He's played shortstop all of his life. He played at Arizona, which is a good program. He played in the Cape Cod League. He play, I'm sure he played on, for dominant high school programs, and he's starting in the major leagues now. He's He's played a whole bunch of baseball in his life, and, I mean, when I tweeted that news about what Hurdle said. I had every friggin' Yenzer from the, from the South Hills down all the way to friggin' Erie uh, were telling me, you don't say anything if you can't get it. And and I normally don't side with Twitter opinions, uh, but, but Twitter's, when it, right. Twitter's right that time. Yep. I mean, that's common knowledge. I'm sure Kevin knows that, and he regrets doing it, but in his situation, like you said, running all the way from second... I don't know. I mean, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough look, especially what happens the next pitch, the Yelich. Um, But then I thought, while that was frustrating, I thought the more disappointing one was what Moran did Sunday. Yeah. With the bases loaded, nobody out. You get a ground ball hit to you toward the bag while you're running forward. I mean, I would think it was common knowledge. A, touch the bag that's near you. Yeah. Right? B, I was thinking, if you don't touch the bag, throw the dude out at home. Yes, that was... Well, because your momentum, he's coming forward. You're coming forward. The easiest throw through, like, physics would be to just throw towards you. Rather than turning your body and trying to throw to second, rather than angling your body and trying to throw it to first base, the easiest throw would just be to plant your feet, throw a ball. I mean, I forget who scored. It was... Tames, I believe, who scored that run. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't more than halfway down the yeah, baseline. He would have been, been out, he wouldn't have even had a play. I mean, he wouldn't have even had a chance to slide. So at the worst case, I thought, field it, throw it home. Or, I mean, I thought the no-brainer play though was step on third, because he had enough time to step on third and then throw it home, still for the easier throw, where you could have got a double play. Taken away the runner at third base and cut down the runner at home, Lyles gets out of the jam right after that. They should have been scoreless after that inning, but instead they go down in the game one to nothing. And then another frustrating thing that we didn't point out in that series also, continuing the horrible trend of pitching in the zone to guys who kill them. I mean, how many times did they groove one to Mike Mustakis? How many times did they try to avoid Christian Yelich? None. Eric Thames on Sunday. Thames I mean,
1: is not in the same... No, he's not, but when, when a guy... It, 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 when Bruce a, isn't even in the same... You know, as Yelich? As, no, Yelich is, Yelich the is a... Yeah, on the team. yeah, but I mean... top three players Moustakas in the right
0: is now. a premier home run hitter in the National League, I would say. Probably top ten power hitters in the National League. At the
1: moment, yeah. Yeah,
0: so I don't see why you wouldn't be a little hesitant, especially... After what he did on Thursday, just crushing baseballs, maybe keep that in your in the back of your mind, because you gotta face him two more times he didn't play on Sunday. But I don't understand why. And I know you're facing teams like the Dodgers and the Brewers, where sure they have a Bellinger and a Yelich, but there's also other guys like a Mustakis, you know, like a Ryan Braun, like, you know, those those big boppers that follow them. But I still just think, you know. You don't have to intentionally walk him, but guys are starting to pitch around Josh Bell now. I mean, there's there you he didn't see very much to hit at all uh, in this Milwaukee series, and for the first time all season, he was a little impatient. Uh, why not do the same to them? I just don't get it. They they simply do not pitch around good hitters. It blows my mind. You know, this was the first time in
1: at the beginning of the series, you know, you saw Josh Bell, and he still got that double, and then he had a couple hits in the next game. It's like, but he had a run batted in as well. Yeah, but those are some ugly swings right there, Josh. We
0: haven't seen that this the year. Swing, and then
1: he had the O for 6, and then... The
0: swing on Saturday night with the bases loaded and two outs... In it's the, in the, the worst 12th. swing he's had all year. Yeah, I mean, it was 0-2. I mean, he looked like someone just trying to, like, have fun. Like, you know, like you're messing around just trying to hit anything. I mean that was, that was a wildly bad
1: swing. I think he was convinced that he was getting a breaking ball in O two. And whenever he saw it that high, it's like, oh, it's gonna break right into my wheelhouse. And then it didn't break, and he was past the point of no return at that point. I mean, I, maybe, I mean that's just yeah. I, not, I didn't talk to him about. it. I think that's yeah. just like my eyeball analysis of what happened. My
0: my thing too is I'm not gonna start worrying about Josh Bell just yet. But I mean seeing those swings it does kind of make you wonder like oh shoot yeah like like it, it, it would be one thing if he just had hard contact or something but i mean those he had a lot of ugly at bats in this milwaukee yeah. series i would like to just see something a little bit better from him in atlanta cuz again i know he's going to come down to earth i wouldn't be surprised if he finishes hitting under 300 this season cuz i don't think he's like a 300 hitter uh but I don't like those ugly swings. That was reminiscent of last year's Josh Bell. I think day off will be good for him. You know, he gets, he gets back with, uh, with Cruz and next time and we'll get it together, right? Hopefully. All right. So maybe a day
1: off would do him good.
0: Yeah. One guy that uh, kind of, I mean, he ended his hit streak on Sunday, but he has been playing great baseball all together in the field, on the bases, and definitely with the bat is Kevin Newman. A dude who I pretty much wrote off at the beginning of this season, after his, you know, he lost his job to Eric Gonzalez in spring training. He had a disappoint disappointing first couple of months in the majors. Uh, toward the end of the 2018 season, he gets a little bit of playing time in April. He has statistically the worst inning in Pirates history in the field against the Cubs. Um, then he goes on the IL, they call up Cole Tucker, Cole Tucker mania ensues. And I'm just thinking, okay, well Newman's going to be like a backup, you know, he'll be a, he'll be a role guy, but sure enough, since he's, it's kind of like what you saw from Adam Frazier when he came back from Indianapolis in the second half last year, he just looked rejuvenated and he couldn't get out. He was playing really good baseball. That's what Kevin Newman's doing right now. I mean, he's hitting, he's, showing a lot of pop in his bat. I know he only has the one home run, but he's got some doubles. Uh, he's driving runs in. He moved to the top of the order like you and I have been clamoring for, and he's made some really good plays in the field too. Um, I'm actually pretty excited about this guy right now.
1: Yeah, that Jeter throw was to start that archer awesome. game was, yeah. That was vintage Jeter when, right when there. When you
0: play shortstop as a little kid, and I was a big Jeter fan, um, you, you practiced that play in your backyard. All the time, all the time. I mean, and like you, you know, when you're little, you don't have the arm strength to like get it past the pitcher's mound most of the time when you're doing that jump throw at the edge of the infield dirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, but that was that was vintage Nike commercial, Gatorade commercial, Derek Jeter right there. That was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Um...
1: The thing that does concern me about Newman is he's getting a lot of infield hitch, hits, which, you know, he's one of the fastest dudes, you know, the Pirates team. have had in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say, oh, well, that's going to stop. I'm I'm willing to concede that he's always going to outperform, like, his ex will, but he's always going to have a high batted ball and play average because of that speed. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to concede that. I'm allowed to still be a little nervous that, you know, they're going to, you know, learn to bring in the third baseman an extra step or two, and then those hits will go away. The other part... So I would put that asterisk next to everything. I do like him batting leadoff, not only because he's actually getting on base at the moment, but because Adam Frazier looks a lot more relaxed not batting leadoff at the moment, and he's driving a couple balls. And that was... Whenever I started this, you know, bat Newman first, drop Frazier in the order, that was part of the precursor of it. Like, I haven't completely written off Adam Frazier here, but his swing's not in a good place. He's pressing, he looks like he's under... Just take a little bit of pressure off of him, let him bat below, get, you know, get intentionally walked a couple times, help out the OPP that way. Mm -hmm. I think that'll do him some good.
0: Yeah, and I think since they've made that switch, like you said, both have looked a lot better. I think Newman... Newman isn't by any means like Kevin Euclid, like the Greek god of walks, as they call him in Moneyball, Uh, but... He is someone that's going to see more than three pitches in an at-bat, which is not really what Adam Frazier was when he was hitting leadoff, and that's what you need. I know uh, some sabermetrics or whatever, it's, it's you know, you, you see the good pitch, you hit the good pitch, blah, blah, yada, 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 but, like, your leadoff guy, old school or new school mentality, should, should be someone who sees a lot of pitches. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's hitting more times than anyone else statistically throughout the entire season. That's just a fact. So when you have a guy that can take a lot of pitches, go deep into counts, run up the pitcher's pitch count, get to the bullpen, get on base, speed as well is always a plus in a leadoff hitter. I mean, Newman's doing all of that right now.
1: Yeah, especially with the seeing pitches whenever Greg's on deck and he's looking at it from the on-deck circle. Mm-hmm. Marte's watching, Bell's watching, and that's another factor for Frazier. You know, whenever he he especially struggled that first plate appearance of the year. Yeah. He did better, you know, once he gets to see a couple pitches. This time he gets to watch six or seven at-bats first and then get to hit rather than going in cold and, okay, what's this guy got?
0: All right, so uh, we we got a little positive there, and I guess we'll go negative now to round up our, our three big things to start the show. Um, Keone Kella, after a couple rehab appearances in A. Uh, they, they shut down his, his rehab stint and his recovery. It has been paused, and he's just going to... I guess they're still figuring things out. This is very discouraging if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates.
1: Yeah, and it's, the big thing is the velocity. It's down big time, like four or five miles per hour from the player that they acquired last year. That is the number one concern, I think, that he's not throwing as hard as he is, as he used to. And if that's a shoulder problem, then you gotta wonder what Keone's future with this team is. Like, how long is he gonna be? The shut guy who lives up? and
0: dies by his fastball.
1: That and just, well, he, it, the curveball doesn't sequence as well without yeah. a good mm-hmm. fastball. And I think that's what we saw early on in this year. You know, his, he wasn't at the top of his game. And I guess we kind of just put the precursor oh, everyone's, you know, a little cold, you mm-hmm. know, in April. You know, he'll get better as the season progresses, but. That hasn't happened. If he's going to be hurt most of this year, and if he doesn't put it back together,
0: you got to wonder, is he on this team in 2020? Well, I mean, my thing is, they traded for a hurt player in July. Clearly. I mean, think about it. They got him. He pitched how many times for the Pirates in 2018? In in August and in September? Not very much, because they shut him down all September. They did shut
1: him down. Maybe that was a precursor to this. Yeah,
0: I mean, they saw this coming early. And he looked good in August for the Pirates. He looked really good, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and then they shut him down also all through September. He has all the offseason to get right. All of spring training. And he's struggling in the opening months. And like we, we assumed, yeah, just taking a little longer to get going. Statistically, not the best guy in the opening month of the year. But I think they, they bought a lemon. They might have bought a lemon. I mean, when you look at what they gave for Archer and what they got in return, and, I mean, I'm not—I know you were really upset to see Taylor Hearn go, but all things considered, I guess, like, that's not— unless, if you know, of course, knowing the Pirates' luck, yeah, he probably will be, like, a three-time All-Star. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's— it was like a number he's eight not, prospect or something. Yeah, he's
1: not glass now. Yeah, not so he's
0: not I, and you didn't give up a crazy amount for Kella, but that 11-game win streak might have been one of the worst things to happen to the Pirates in a long time because look at what they gave up and look at what they got in return. They brought on more money, they gave up some of their future, and the one guy is, I mean, a shell of himself, even on his best day. And the other guy has pitched, I don't know, like what, like 15 times for as a Pirate? 30 times?
1: No, he hasn't done 30.
0: Altogether in his career, you don't think?
1: With the Pirates, I don't think so.
0: Okay, I mean, that's wild. I'm curious.
1: I'm going to look now.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I, don't know, I guess I'll just, I'll just riff while you look it up, but that's got to be concerning. And I don't know if that's something... You always hear pending physical when a team makes a trade in any sport. Um, what went on in that physical if you're trading for a guy and and he's clearly hurt. I think, yeah, I think you can easily trace this back. What, what do you got? It's exactly 30. Is it exactly it's 30 exactly in his career 30. for the Pirates? Yeah. So there you go. Well so, done. yeah, and he's been on the team since August. So, and that's... That's just not good. If he's out for the year or if they rush him back, I just I just don't know. It's I think it's another indictment on the medical team here. And I think it's like I said, another indictment on the trade deadline last year where they just got very emotional. They might not have looked into this Kella thing all the way through and they clearly didn't look into the Archer thing and consider what they were doing. This is not good.
1: I I you there's know. no point in crying about it now. No, there's no point in crying about it. I'm I'm not going to say Neil didn't do his homework or anything like that, but, you know, that it, it was the 11-game win streak, and it was when it happened, where you went into the All-Star break being like, well, maybe we'll buy, but we're probably still going to sell, and then it's like, well, I guess... Then it kept happening. and Then it just kept happening and happening, and they... Yeah. I don't think there's... I'm done talking about that, and I know we're going to be talking about it in, you know, this July and probably every July for years to come until one of those two players, if by chance, you know, just takes off.
0: I think you're going to be... If you continue to cover the Pirates, like we... I mean, if either one of us does, like we hope to do, I think you're going to... You're going to... I mean, that's one that's going to live with Huntington forever. I think... When, when it's all said and done, when you look back it at would, it. Yeah, whenever we look back on his tenure I mean, in Pittsburgh. You'll be able to highlight the reclamation projects and signing Kutch right before he took off. Uh, those were big moves. The Dickerson signing was a good one. I thought the Kutch trade was looking to be a pretty good one right now. I think they already won that. Yeah. <laughs> it's simply just because Kutch played half a season for them. Yeah. Um, but here we go.
1: I mean, it, this is... I think you just put it right there. In 2018, Huntington made essentially five trades. One of them was the Dickerson steal. Okay, that's a good trade. Mm-hmm. The other one is the Cutch trade, which will probably go down as maybe his best trade, in all honesty. I think Brian Reynolds has another gear. <laughs> to read.
0: Yeah, I, I mean the Dickerson one just in short term was really good cuz you got yeah, rid that, of you cut pay you cut salary, you got rid of a horrible pitcher and you got in return you got a 300 hitting gold glove outfielder to replace your face of the franchise essentially as the third outfielder on the team. Trading your
1: worst pitcher in a ho hum, you know, projectable minor leader who's not going to be in the majors for years yeah. for a gold for your, yeah. best, for your new best position player. What a deal. But the cold trade if The cold trade really, at that's, this point, is Musgrove. I've, and Musgrove and Martin, and even Martin, I think, has kind of been well, surpassed on the death chart by Reynolds, by everyone else. I don't know what Martin's future with this team is at the moment.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll do this. I'll say, let's say hypothetically in 2020, 2021, that's when, I would say that's the window for this team to do anything. Yeah, okay. Based with the core and everything, and that's when some pitchers will start having some free agency opportunities. Um, to, so the next two years, let's say they go to the wild card. Comparing what Moran and Martin could be to those teams, I would say like Moran could be like the Garrett Jones, maybe, that with is- a little less power but a little bit more consistency at the plate. He could be a pinch hitter, a guy that you give starts to at first and third base, uh left-handed hitter off the off the bench. Uh and I think that Jason Martin could be like a Travis Snyder type dude. Maybe like a fourth outfielder. Someone gets hurt, start him in the outfield. That's not terrible in a return, but that's that those two guys, a bum pitcher who probably won't even be on the team next year, and Joe Musgrove, who Is a middle of the rotation starter? That's not good enough in a return for a dude who probably will win a Cy Young before it's all said and done. Maybe. I mean, I think if maybe.
1: I think if Cole wins a Cy Young, it would be like with Houston. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and this is his last year in Houston. It it was a bad situation for for Cole here in Pittsburgh. But yeah, the Cole trade, the Archer trade, the Keanu Kelly trade—it's like those are three. Trades, uh, uh, the David the,
0: Freeze trade?
1: Oh, man, that was... I got salty about that one. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not 100% convinced that he was just going to 100% retire. Yeah. I I I know he was quoted in saying, it's like, okay, wow, I can't believe it. He's saying that a major league ball... that a professional athlete's going to retire, and then not. Mm-hmm. When has that ever happened before? Yeah. Yeah, so if he really was like, no, I promise you, I will not be back in Pittsburgh next year, then okay, trade him for whatever. But... I don't think that
0: was the case. All okay. right, so that'll conclude our three big things. Went really long there, yeah. but hey, it's okay. So up next for our, our show for the interview portion, we have Alex will be speaking to Nate Warner. Warner, Nate Warner, right? Yeah. Okay, just wanted to make sure uh, of the point of Pittsburgh, and he wrote a very interesting article analyzing the Pirates' past drafts and what they might be doing. For the upcoming draft, because we are recording this on Monday, we have no idea what the team did, and uh, we won't be able to provide that much analysis for it, but... uh, Next week. Yeah, next week we will do that, and um, uh, we'll get into that right now, but before we do that, gotta tell you who this interview is brought to you by, and of course, as it loads, it is brought to you by No Negations... No Negations is a motivational lifestyle and apparel brand. Their mission is to inspire others to achieve no matter the circumstance. It is easy to quit or give up, especially if the people around us are feeding negativity. The No Negations team wants to be that positive reinforcement in your life. They offer workshops and talks to get your team, clients, and customers motivated and inspired. Their team of national and world-class athletes are energetic, impactful, motivational speakers offering insight on perseverance, team-building, fitness, and mindset development. So whether if you have a t-shirt, a hat, a polo, a long-sleeve shirt, crew neck, hoodie, or leggings... It should be a reminder that no matter your circumstance, you can overcome if you stay consistent. Visit visit their website at www.nonegations.com to order apparel and to receive more information on speaking events. Also, follow them on social media Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at No Negations. That's N O N E G A T I O N S. No Negations. And now, Nate Warner.
1: Alright, it's time for our weekly interview, and today I've got a fellow The Point of Pittsburgh writer with me. It uh, is Nate Warner. Nate, how are you doing? I'm
2: doing well. I'm happy to be back on the podcast.
1: Yeah, it, that's right. Back. I think you're our first repeat guest.
2: Ah, uh, so well, I'm, I'm honored.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, what, like episode three or four? We had no idea what we were doing back then, so... uh, As opposed to now whenever I don't have Noah as my security blanket And I have no idea what I'm doing, so Besides that
2: (laughs) You're a a veteran podcaster at this
1: point Uh, Yeah, well, by the loosest of definitions I guess I did do (laughs) Clear the Deck, which Oh my goodness, Clear the Deck's been dead for a year In one day Since this has been coming out Since this has come out What a shame (laughs) (laughs) Having fun not recording with Jared (laughs) But I wanted to get Nate on, not only because he is great to riff with, but because he wrote a piece for the Point of Pittsburgh on Neil Huntington and the draft. And we've heard so much over the last couple of years about how the Pirates have been a traditionally poor drafting team and how they haven't been drafting impact players. And you took a more in-depth look at it. So I'll just shut up and let you talk about the article. Yeah, sure. Uh, so...
2: Um, I, you know, I, I, I heard, uh, as you said, um, there's a lot of talk about how good or bad uh, the Pirates are at drafting. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of focus uh, put on that. So, uh, me being more of a, a quantitative person, I like to put numbers to things. Um, so, I went out and I grabbed the, the first five rounds of the draft. Um, uh, uh, compensatory picks and, and such included the first five rounds of the draft. Um, and then sort of added on to that data um, what, how teams, or I'm sorry, how uh, players ended up doing. Uh, so I, I used uh, F-War uh, as, as the, the, the proxy for, for how players actually did, um, and then, and, and used that to measure then uh, how, how the drafts um, uh, actually turned out for, for various teams. Uh, so I took from, from 2008, uh, Neil Huntington's first season, uh, I actually pulled the data through 2018, but then I decided to kind of cut back a little bit. Uh, went back to, to 2015, um, so that um, so we weren't counting in too many players who you know just hadn't had enough time to develop through the minor leagues. Um, you know, to, to, to be fair to all teams, um, and, and not you know uh, bias it towards teams that usually go for college players versus uh, teams that go for high school players to take longer to develop and so on. Um, as far as the actual framework uh, for sort of analyzing the draft, uh, I, I sort of built two out. Um, the first one, uh, I, I binned uh, picks into you know, three pick groupings. Um, so if you, take a, if you take a draft, you take picks uh, one, two, and three, you say, okay, those are all sort of high-value picks uh, or, or high challenge picks, um, so we're going to sort of group them together. And then you take, uh, four, five, and six, and say they're all sort of equally valuable, or roughly, approximately equally valuable. Uh, and then you take, you know, seven, eight, nine, and you do that all the way through, uh, I did it all the way through, um, picks, uh, 100, or, uh, 148, uh, 149, and 150. Um, and so when you do that, you, you, since, since we're only talking about the, whatever, seven or eight picks that, that occurred in any, any one of, um, in any given slot, uh at any given pick number uh over the course of the season. If you if you bin them into these three pick groups, um you, you sort of increase your sample size and, and you can be a little more confident uh, with the result. Um so then then what I did is I just I averaged together um what the annual war uh for for players in each of these bins was. Uh so for instance in uh in picks one through three uh, had an average annual WAR of uh, 2.4, uh, 2.3, 2.4 wins uh, every season, um, uh, you know, for their respective teams uh, through, through the first six years of their of their major league uh, contract, which is you know when those players would be on their um, on their rookie deals, and, and and the teams would know that they could they could they had uh, control over those players, um, and so. What you do there, what that does is that sort of tells you how teams um, are actually, you know, or, or how those those picks ended up producing for those teams. Um, and and that's, that's sort of the, the, the basic framework. Uh, but the one thing that, that I did that I think was different uh, from a lot of the, the, the frameworks that, that people used to analyze the draft is I, I actually made a, a cost uh, to, to players not developing. Typically, when you would see that that sort of analysis done, um, they would, came for uh, writers or, or analysts, would just be looking at the upside. They'd just be looking at the players that actually made the major leagues and how they did when they made the major leagues. Um, I sort of, I, I, I have uh, green economics. Uh, I'm very much uh, cost and benefit kind of guy. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to sort of focus on that cost. And so. Um, uh, I, and I, I wanted to assign uh, – or I wanted to, to sort of add a cost uh, to teams that were drafting players that weren't making the major leagues. Um, you know, the, the short, it's sort of a hidden cost, uh, you know, the, that go into drafting and developing these players that we never see as fans, uh, particularly at the major league level. And so um, to factor that in, I just assigned uh, everyone who didn't make the major league level um, a, a war of uh, negative two and a half, uh, which is sort of the, the lower bound of what uh, what the, a major league player uh, in the MLB had done uh, between the years of, of 2008 and, and 2015. And so, uh, using the, the sort of replacement level logic, uh, you would say that, that, that these players, because they never made the major leagues, were actually worse than replacement level, so, so uh, ended up with a, a flat rate of, two and a half, of, of minus two and a half wins. Uh, and when you do that, uh, you come up with this very uh, sort of depressing uh, graph, um, and, and, and you see that after I, I believe it's the 15th pick, um, the average uh, pick beyond uh, the 15th pick in the in the draft uh, doesn't doesn't produce uh, major league um, value. That they, they have negative expected um, more uh, for, yeah, from, the, from from the 15th pick on. And, and, and that's that's a very sort of depressing thing, <laughs> especially with the, yeah. the draft going on tonight. Um, you know, you kind of there's kind of hope in the draft, of like, oh, you know, this guy's going to be the guy who, um, who who takes, you know, who, who's going to be the difference maker, who's going to be your next franchise player, um, you know, who, who's, who's really going to be, you know, part of a core um, that, that that the team can build around. And, and, and as it turns out, on average, that's not true. Uh, on average, um, you know. Uh, you really have a, a pretty low uh, chance that, that this player is going to be viable major league talent. That's why there's, uh, help, help me out, out. here, Alex, there's more than
1: 700 picks. Right? There, there's Oh, there's a lot.
2: Picks. Is that
1: it? Yeah. yeah. There, that that is my baseball analysis. League. There are a lot of picks. I'm expected to be drafted <laughs> this weekend.
2: <laughs> you and me both. You and me both.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute, but I'm, I'm not college eligible, so I can't. <laughs>
2: Uh, <laughs> had to get maybe maybe we would just get the, uh, the the minor league signing, you know? Yeah, you never know. But um, yeah, and, and, you know, I think it's after after about the um, I think in the first round you have like roughly a seventy percent chance of, of making the 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 major leagues, and then beyond that, you're below 50 uh, for for all the rounds after that. So. Um, so it, it does kind of show um, that, that the draft is really sort of a lottery. Um, you, you know, these, these teams are really just picking players um, that they, they hope can turn out. Um, and, and but there's really no guarantee of it. And, and uh, you know, uh, so... It, it, it's it's an interesting. It's really it's really sort of interesting from I'm, I'm a, like I said I'm, I'm kind of a quantitative guy from just like a probability perspective. You know, you're picking um, you know a thousand players or, or whatever just so that you can fill a 25 man roster uh, ultimately. Um, you know, so so or, or I guess 30 25 uh, man rosters. You know, in in the future, and you don't even have to. It doesn't even all have to come from one draft, right? It, it comes over over years and years of drafting. Um, so um, yeah, so so what's interesting, uh, or, or what I ended up finding, was that uh, getting getting back to the pilot, um, is uh, that, that there's sort of a, a, a very average trapping team. Uh, so so I, I, I'm sorry, I I didn't complete the thought, the earlier thought. I, I built two frameworks. The first one was that that binned one, that three pick bin, and then I also did it by um, essentially a, a thirty round bin, um, which I, I call it a round. Sort of, you know, by round uh, how how each team did, and from that you can you can compare the players and how they did relative to where they were picked. So, for instance, um, you know, a, a, a um, uh, say Kevin Newman is picked in the first round. The first round has uh, actually it, actually the first round has an average expected war um, of minus point minus .1. Uh, so even, even the first round, uh, across the first 30 picks, uh, won't even necessarily net you, uh, positive war. Um, but, you know, Kevin Newman, uh, he's a he first round pick, um, and, and he hadn't been worth any war, um, but, but because he hadn't been worth any war, uh, you know, he was worth zero war, and, um, and, but the expectation is, uh, minus 0.1. Uh, he was would, would actually a slightly positive pick by 0.1 wins, um, and and so you can do that um, both by bin round and and the, the you know the, the sort, sort of thirty pick um, uh, round. And and the other finding is that the Pirates are, are a fairly average drafting team. Um, they're sort of uh, a, a by by sort of the bin um, the, the three pick bin framework. Uh, they only uh, produced. 2 um, more per season um, in, in sort of, you know, above the expectation. They, they were ranked 14th out of the 30 teams. And then if you, if you look at it by round, uh, they produced um, 3.8 more per season, which, which rated them as, as 13th out of 30. So they were sort of in that middle uh, category. Um, from, from, from 2008 uh, through the, the 2015 draft, um, no, I was also I was playing around with uh, his numbers uh, with, with a mutual friend. Uh, uh, me, me and David were, were checking back and forth, um, and uh, and I, I so I cut it down from from uh, 2008 to 2014, um, and actually found that the Pirates were a top ten team uh, in both those categories, which is just something interesting. It, it, it might be more of a reflection of Huntington's um, sort of hesitancy. Uh, to to push players through the minors and, and, and get those younger players up faster, um, you know he tends to he tends to sort of pull them back a little bit and and, and really like watch them develop and, and sort of become um sort of true you know be able to come up and establish themselves uh, I guess later in their career um and, and that sort of showed them that, that sort of pushed them from the middle uh the, the sort of middle tier of teams up into the, the upper third. I think I ranked uh, ninth and eighth, respectively, or something like that. So it's interesting. That's sort of an interesting side note. Um, overall, I think that giving the, the teams that that sort of three-year window from from uh, 2015 to 2018 to develop players, I think, is more than fair. So, um, so yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting because the pirates aren't. Good at developing, and, and developing players, but they're not really bad at it either. And I think that's that's largely the narrative that, that goes around Pittsburgh is that they you know Huntington and, and company are very they're bad at it. And uh, and, and I really I the numbers uh, don't seem to bear that out. I guess would be my point.
1: So that was a good twelve minute answer on <laughs> the. <laughs> hey, it makes my job easy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and it, it, on there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was hanging on every word. <laughs> but I want to touch on something that you brought up at the very end right there. That the Pirates aren't bad. And even if they were quote-unquote bad, that's not necessarily a death knell. Because near the very top, the team that stuck out to me the most looking at your models was the San Francisco Giants. They're second in one model and they're third in another model. And if you look at the Giants roster now, that is the oldest, most talent-deprived roster in the major leagues. And I, I think Bumgarner was drafted in that 2008... or 2008 or later. But I don't think Buster Posey was. I don't think Brandon Belt was. I mean, I think that team was basically built... Those World Series teams were built before these drafts. And... In 2008 on, they've been one of the very best drafting teams, and it really hasn't done them any good. I know they traded away a lot of that talent, so I guess I'm looking, that's... You... go for it. Oh,
2: sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to put that as a precursor to another part of a question: would be how much of this is drafting, and how much of this do you think is player development? Because again, top team in both of your models, St. Louis Cardinals, who can seem to work devil magic to bring anyone up to impact player.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so uh, I'm, I'm largely, in, this, in these models, I'm, I'm largely agnostic to development. Uh, I'm really sort of just looking at who drafted a player, uh, did they sign them? Uh, if they sign them, then they're, they're kept in. If not, then, then they go back into the pool. Um, and, then, and then I look at, um, you know, how did those players ultimately do? Um, so uh, you know, if, if a if a team trades a player away, uh, I'm sort of agnostic to that fact. So this is largely just uh, sort of talent um, identification and and, and um, being able to, to sort of find value picks uh, where teams are picking. Um, now you know, I, I think if you look at St. Louis, you know they they seem to just have a system of of drafting and developing players. they they're I mean they're uh, I think uh, six more ahead of, of the next best team uh, in one model. They're whatever seven or eight more that are in the in the next uh, or in the other model. Um, it, it, they just have a they have a system. There, I doubt that that can be purely you know, sort of talent um, uh, development. You know, I, 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 I doubt it can be either talent just talent development or just um, you know sort of talent identification. Um, uh, and sort of drafting and flash developing. Um, so, um, you know, it going to be some kind of a combination of the two. If you look at San Francisco, I mean, you know, the, the Pirates may have a rookie of the year candidate in, in Brian Reynolds. Um, Kyle Crick is, is a product of their system. They've certainly, they're certainly able to, to identify talent, um, at least from a drafting perspective, whether or not they're actually able to, to identify it from a, um, you know, from a, from a bringing them into the major leagues and, and having them produce for the major league club perspective is is another uh, another question uh, entirely, and, and so that might be why they're they're up there. But you know, Billy Bean and, and Oakland Athletics are up there, um, so you know, I, 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 it, it's the model itself is sort of agnostic to to the drafting and developing question, uh, but I, I think we can kind of infer a little bit, you know, depending on on, like
1: you said, how how the teams are doing. Alright. Uh, I think that's all I have for the model draft one. But you uh-huh. wrote, the last thing you wrote for The Point of Pittsburgh was on who would be the best opener candidates. We're going to go back on this because this has been grinding my gears the last couple weeks. I just went off in the last podcast about this. About how the Pirates <laughs> use Michael Foleys as their opener, and the point of the opener is to get the only time you are guaranteed the face the number one, the number two, and the number three hitters in a game is in the first inning. That is the only time. And you took the OPS of how they performed against the one through three hitters in 2018 versus how they performed against the four through nine hitters, and no one on the team did worse than Michael Felice. So I guess my question for you is is what the hell?
2: I I I don't have I I, I don't have a good uh, uh reasoning <laughs> for you there. Uh, in the art, in, in the article I wrote about what a great
1: uh, opener Kyle Crick would be. Um, and that's that's my guy too, by the way. That's my guy too. He 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 is,
2: he is the guy. Um, you know if you look, he, had a, he had an OPS against the one two and three of uh of I believe around five hundred uh, 518. Here I have the numbers in front of me. Um, so against against the you know the top of the order, um, the only guy who was better was Felipe Vazquez, uh, and and only marginally so, he was at, at four eighty eight. So I mean these, these guys are, are absolutely. I mean they're dominant pitchers to begin with, um, but they're they're particularly dominant against um, against one two and three. And in fact, if you look, you know, like you said, you, you'd expect. Uh, then a pitcher to do worse against one, two, and three than, than four through nine, and they were um, they were some of the only guys on the team who actually had a, a, a negative um, split, who were who were better against uh, one, two, and three, who sort of rose to the occasion against one, two, and three versus four through nine. Um, what Michael Foley is doing out there, I have no idea. Um, you know, it, 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 uh, Francisco Liriano is probably the best candidate for it. Uh, particularly if, if you're going to throw, you know, do lefty-righty
1: with him and him and Cam. Um, but, but he doesn't want to well, do it. I, I, he, yeah,
2: he doesn't want to do it. And, I, I, you know, I, I think he, he, he's earned the right to a certain extent. Um, you know, he, he's, he's certainly put his time in, in the league and he needs a veteran uh, president. And, you know, if, if, uh, while well, I would like to see him say, you know, I'll do whatever whatever I can uh, to, see, to help the team. And I also understand. Uh, him, him sort of not wanting to get out of his groove. Uh, we see what he's like when he gets out of his groove and has to uh, pitch with pitch, pitch with runners on base. Uh, so uh, maybe we don't want maybe don't don't want to press him to, to open uh, as well. Uh, we may get get bad results as, as a result. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I mean the other thing is, is is people are sort of upset. I think with the opener as just a as a concept, uh, because the the Pirates haven't done so well uh, in the games where they've they've deployed the opener. But, as I I wrote in that article, um, the opener doesn't cover up for bad pitching. And and what the Pirates were were trying out there was bad pitching uh, to a large extent. It's slightly augmented. So, in theory, you you may get a better result um, when you're you're, um, using the opener probably not if you're going to use Michael Fleet, but you're just not going to have good results when you, when you pitch Michael um, but you know you maybe get a, a slightly better outcome than you would had you not used the opener uh, but the, the, the problem is not the opener the problem is the lack of a sort of quality arms to,
1: to throw those innings alright before I get too angry I think I'm going to stop the opener talk there Thanks again for coming on the show, Nate. Uh, we can find you at Goldbox Stats, not Stacks. Should be making stacks on Twitter. <laughs> Any last plug you want to give? Uh,
0: let's go, Bucks. Let's go, Bucks. All right. So, once again, thank you to Nate Warner for joining us, uh, discussing his latest article and uh, breaking down some Pirates draft. Alex, great job on the interview.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Uh, it hasn't happened yet. No. Uh, Uh, you're putting all the pressure on me. Yeah, so, I hope you didn't do terrible, would be. That makes two of us. All right, so, we're gonna move on now to everyone's favorite part of the show, which is segments. Alex, who are segments brought to us by? Why, our segments are brought to
1: us by Slice on Broadway, with locations in Carnegie, Beachview, the East End, and of course, our favorite at PNC Park, we had a- Slice on Sunday. Yes, we did. It was very nice. Delicious. Slice on Broadway has it all. From their perfect pizza, spectacular salads, or super delicious subs, everything they make is handmade and the best your money can buy. They wouldn't be able to sleep if it wasn't. Be sure to check them out and tell them the guys from the River Blast podcast sent you.
0: Yeah, I mean, and follow them on social media, too. At Pittsburgh, or is PGH Slice, I believe, is their uh, handle. Uh, and then they're just Slice on Broadway on Instagram. Um, they... Give out. I mean, they do, like, a ton of giveaways during the game. So if you're a Pirates fan, which I'd assume you are if you're listening to this, uh, you could win, like, autographed baseballs, autographed jerseys. I mean, they've got a lot of good stuff. And like I said, best pizza in Pittsburgh. And I'm not just saying that because they pay me. Like, to quote Matthew McConaughey, I I was driving, I was eating Slice on Broadway way before anyone paid me to. You know, I mean, I, I legitimately enjoy the people there. I enjoy... The pizza there, I enjoy the pepperoni rolls. I mean, it's it's just all good stuff. I highly recommend it.
1: That was a better reference than I did for my ad thing. And it was I did the Tobias uh, k <laughs> It's a wonderful restaurant. Is
0: that is that uh, a yeah? That's right. Yeah. It sure is. It sure <laughs> is. All right. So segments buy sell trade. Alex, I've gone first the last couple times. Oh, You're okay. up. All right. Uh, What I am buying, this is an
1: assist from our friends at uh, Pittsburgh Renegades, I am buying more marshmallows for the Rally Raccoon that has been hanging around the grandstand at PNC Park.
0: The Pirates are one in three since this so-called Rally Raccoon has made an appearance. It's
1: okay, I still love
0: him. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but they've been laying traps and they say he goes and he takes the marshmallows and he just doesn't
0: (laughs) spread the trap. He just... Can I tell you a funny raccoon story involving baseball real quick?
1: Does a cat die in it?
0: No, no cats die. Okay, good. Then go. So um, prior to my days with the fan, uh, when I was still in college, I interned one summer with the Indian short season A affiliate, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. I was like their game host. So like I was a guy in the Jumbotron, you know, playing games with fans and everything. It was fun. Um... It was a unique experience to say the least. Minor league baseball is just insane altogether. I mean, the people who work there, I give the utmost respect for. You'll you'll have just the wildest days you can even imagine. Um, The sales intern was one of my best friends when I worked there. His name was Stephen A. Goldsmith. Uh, He had like a very New York accent, you know, like something you'd see like on Seinfeld or something. So he. He would always get stuck doing like the worst type of work. Like he always got stuck in these horrible situations. And because he was the sales intern, he was in charge of selling and maintaining the suites. And his rival, his whole internship was this raccoon that always broke in to the suites at this minor league park. There was two of them and two suites, and he broke in and would take a big dump right in the middle of the right in the middle of both of the suites. And he'd come up to me, and go, "This is ridiculous." Noah, these raccoons keep waking in here and having to poop all over the sweets, and I had to clean it up. And he would get so upset that he's like, "We don't have janitors to do this. We don't have anything." They'd be like, "Dude, like your job is to like like he was supposed to like stock you know stock the sweets with drinks and food and everything. And if you saw a raccoon turd laying there an hour before the fans show up, like. He would have to take off that tie, put on his Rutgers, Scarlet Noit, or his Rutgers Scarlet Knights basketball shorts, and get down on his hands and knees and scrub that carpet clean. Cause his rival, the raccoon, struck again. And this <laughs> dude set traps. This dude did everything. He hated that raccoon more than I. Mean, it was like it was like uh, Bill Murray versus the Gopher on Caddyshack. It was. Incredible. This guy was such a character. Shout out to my guy, Stephen A. Goldsmith. Um, Working for the Houston Dynamo, I believe, in the MLS now. Just living the dream. Uh, I would like to think that that raccoon is still at Eastwood Field. Just just dropping some hot dumps in those suites, (laughs) asserting his dominance. So... That's my that's my raccoon and baseball story. That's I. You know I, what? I don't have one to counter with. So I wonder if that raccoon. What happens to that raccoon if he takes a poop in the Lexus Club? That'd be interesting. Uh, I, that would be a power move. I think PETA would not be happy with the results that would follow that.
1: <laughs> All right. Anyway. All right. Uh, that I'm buying more marshmallows. I am selling uh, the two-seamer being Chris Archer's answer uh, in this last start that he had. He had another bullpen before. He usually most pitchers only have one bullpen before they start. He wanted to have a second one. He threw only fastballs in it. Uh, Jacob Stallings said, "You know, you should throw, you know, throw that during the game." So he threw a lot of two seamers, and in a way, it was good because Brewers batters went 0 for 8 against the pitch in that game. But there was a lot, of, a lot, a lot of balls hit over 100 miles per hour in that stretch, and even in that game. Uh, the changeup got a lot of whiffs, the slider got a lot of whiffs, it, it was the fastball, if anything, that was the negative part of probably his second best start of the year, second or third best start of the year, so I don't buy that the two, especially the two-seamer is the answer for Chris Archer, I know that was a big thing coming into this year, that's how the Pirates were going to quote-unquote fix him, bring him back to 2015 for him, eh, I, don't, I don't believe that's 100% the correct answer like it was for like Charlie Morton in 2013 or Francisco Liriano or A.J. Burnett I think the game's evolved too far for that just to be a fix-all and I am trading Cole Tucker's spot on the 25-man roster for Kevin Kramer because with the way Kevin Newman is hitting right now I think you have to put him in the lineup basically every day and Cole He needs at-bats. I'd rather have him get those at-bats in AAA. Kevin Newman's hitting the cover off the ball in Indianapolis. Uh, He can play third base also, which I think would be a very appealing uh, proposition at the moment, considering how Colin Moran is basically the only third baseman on the roster and they have Newman moonlighting there every once Mm -hmm. in a while. I think... Well,
0: they have Osuna.
1: I guess they do have Osuna, too, but you want to talk about moonlighting at third base. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, I think that's... I think Kevin Kramer could do more good for the Major League club at the moment, and I think Cole Tucker getting consistent at bats at Triple would do better for him than being up in the majors at the moment. Okay. Um, Especially since Newman's shown that, hey, he can field his
0: position. Not as well as
1: Tucker, but, you know, he's not exactly a slutch at the moment.
0: So it's funny that that was your trade because my buy was actually going to be uh, the Newman Tucker. Double play duo. I'm buying into that. I want oh. some Kevin Newman starts at second base and some Cole Tucker starts at shortstop.
1: So we've got civil war going on. I
0: right guess now. so. Um, I just think I think what we saw with Cole this last four game series was what we saw with Cervelli in San Diego. Just Clint gave him some time down, but I think since getting some time down, look at Cole's numbers in the last you know seven eight games. He's hitting the ball and he's hitting it hard. He's been. He's I mean, been it's better. a very it's a very small sample size. I get that, but. When he's only been in the league for like a month, everything's a small sample size. So you could take what you take what you want from that statement, but I would be interested to see. I don't know. I don't know what Adam Frazier, and I'm a big Adam Frazier guy. He's shown flashes of being a very good hitter. I know David Freeze had that statement. He's going to win a batting title one day. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Uh, but when you look long term, the Pirates are definitely more. I would think that they would be more invested in Cole Tucker and Kevin Newman than they would be with Adam Frazier they're both first round picks I think they both are better athletes I think they both their ceilings are much higher than Adam Frazier's just as a, and I think they play the game better I think they're they're I mean, Cole at the plate right now is still finding his way, but Cole brings more to the team by his fielding alone, and I think Newman shows potential being a solid two-way player, which I believe Cole Tucker, with his size and strength, once he figures it out, he will be one as well. So why not give Newman some starts at second base, give Cole Tucker some time at shortstop? I don't think those two have ever played together. They've always been one ahead of the other, right? Yeah. So why not get them acclimated? Because I think that that infield next year of Hayes, Tucker, Newman, and Bell, it looks a lot better than the infield that we had on opening day this past year of Moran or Gung, slash Gonzalez, slash Fraser, slash Bell. I'm more excited about that fielding ability. I'm more excited about their, you know, their youth, what they can do at the plate their speed, their athleticism, I like that infield a whole hell of a lot more, I like Adam Frazier in the role of super utility man, which he seems to thrive the best at anyway, so I'm buying Tucker at short, Newman at second, at least for the time being, give it a couple tries against Atlanta, or maybe on this next road trip, and then uh, if if it doesn't work out, then yeah, give Kramer a, a nod, but I think Kramer um, in Osuna, and this isn't myself, but they might be good trade pieces this, this deadline. If you're looking if the pirates are able to pull a, you know a seven and three in their next 10 games out of nowhere and get back into the conversation, I think that those two guys, plus someone else that I'm going to bring up here soon, could be decent trade pieces to get you some bullpen help at the very least. Um, so I'm selling the notion that Archer's last outing was a good start. I mean it was better compared to what we've seen from him. Sure, he went seven innings. He got a win. That's good, but is that how low the bar is now with this guy who we traded two of our top prospects for who was a former all-star, a guy who got Cy Young votes, was once recognized as one of the best young arms in the game, allowing four runs in seven innings? That's what we're patting him on the butt for? Get out of here with that, man. You did your job. Congrats. And in that job, there were a lot of, there were a few times where it was scary. It was scary. He got some really good plays in the field that backed him up that game, that if they don't normally make those plays, the Pirates defense, and if they don't do it that game, I don't know if he goes seven innings, probably not. And I know we're playing the hypothetical game here, but there was a lot of hard contact in that start. I mean, if, if he can keep doing that, four, four runs over seven innings, I'll take the consistency. But everyone's acting like this dude just, you know, threw a, a Greg Maddox. Is that what it is? Or yeah. Maddox, yeah. Yeah, Maddox, where it's a shutout, less than 100 pitches, complete game. No, he didn't do that, man. He, he went deep into a game once, second time all season. Good job, improvement. But I'm not ready to, like, retract my statements on Archer saying that I don't think he'll ever be as good as he once was. So that's my sell. My trade. If you thought my Archer take was a little hot, get ready. Uh, Trade Melky Cabrera. Corey Dickerson stinks right now in the minor leagues. That's to be expected. The guy hasn't played baseball in a couple months. I get that. And prior to being injured, he played like five days in the majors, a little bit in spring training. But yeah, he just hasn't played a lot of baseball. So he's got to take a little bit to get back. Once he's back in a couple weeks, you're at mid-June. Regardless of what situation the Pirates are in, if they're looking to be buyers, if they're looking to be sellers, Melky Cabrera should be traded at that moment. Brian Reynolds cannot go back to AAA. It would be a mistake. This is, the, this is your starting left fielder or center fielder. This is your starting outfielder for the next five seasons. Don't put him in A. He's done nothing to deserve that. He's fielded well. He's hit very well. He is one of the few guys on this team who's capable of drawing a walk. He's a switch hitter, he's young, he's exciting, maybe not personal like personality wise, but the way he plays the game is exciting. I I think sending him down would be a huge mistake. You got to keep him up here. Keep him getting reps in the major leagues. That's where he belongs. Corey Dickerson also belongs in the major leagues. And I don't know what you would do with Dickerson. I don't know how you would split playing time with him coming back once he is ready to go up. I mean, maybe put Polanco on the IL. I don't know. But Melky would be the fifth outfielder in this situation. And while he has been excellent this year, he's been a steal for the Pirates this season. He has done more than anyone expected him to do filling in for Polanco and Dickerson and and Marte and all these guys who were injured. At the end of the day, this is a minor league invite to spring training. Low investment. They've got so much out of him, and some team will want him. Some team will want a veteran switch hitter who's hitting the ball well. A guy who could be their fourth outfielder. A guy who will get base hits. And if you can get anything for him, uh, if you could get um a, a long reliever for him. A decent pro I, I mean, I would want probably immediate help. Or if you could try to get like I mean, this is a team that got O'Neill Cruz for Tony Watson. I think they could find they could find someone, like be it a prospect, or ideally for me, I would I would just like to see a long reliever. I think you could find that somewhere. I don't know where. Uh teams are gonna be looking to make a lot of moves mid June. That's when the, the stove starts to heat up. I'd like to see it. I know it would be a tough goodbye, Alex. I know you really like watching him play, as do I. But big picture here, even short picture, if the team does end up making the playoffs, Melky Cabrera's not going to be in the starting lineup more than likely. So why not trade him? Your deepest part of the team is outfield. Why not trade him to get help where you desperately need it, which is pitching?
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm kind of in the mindset with... If the Pirates are sellers, then LG should absolutely go the same with Dickerson and basically everyone who's on an expiring contract. If anyone. Cervelli? Yeah, if anyone would take Cervelli. Trade Cervelli to Allegheny General? Oh, man. But uh, I I kind of have the mindset with Melky that unless you feel good with Jason Martin being your fourth outfielder next year, maybe this offseason you go to him and be like, look, no minor league deal. One year, two million, be our fourth outfielder. Counterpoint.
0: Why can't they do that after they trade him?
1: I guess they could. I guess they could. I think it would just be easier to get that. It done. would
0: be easier, but if why why I mean why not just be like, "Hey, we're going to trade you. Uh, we'd love to have you back." It's just, you know, it's baseball. Melky's been traded before. He he yeah. gets the business, and yeah. I think he likes it here. I think he likes it here so, too. I think people in Pittsburgh, not just,
1: you know, you know the fans in Pittsburgh, but I think the team likes Melky. And I yeah. think the front office in management, I know Hurdle likes Melky.
0: Yeah. So, I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I'd like to see him back next year, possibly as a fourth outfielder. I think you have other guys you could use as a fourth outfielder. I think Osuna could be a good fourth outfielder if he's still around, or a decent fourth outfielder. I think Jason Martin, you can always find a fourth outfielder on the free agent market. Yeah, which is what Melky was. Yeah,
1: and, I think and you it, could still get him next year even if you do trade him. Yeah, which is why I think Melky would take that one-year, two million with, you know, a couple performance you know bonuses on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, just the guaranteed no minor league deal, which, is he, which he's had to go through. The last two years, I think he would just like that simple contract. Uh, the Archer one seven four, I know not great. Uh, still some strikeouts.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean it was runners. good, but like that's that's not, it's not what you want. The Archer, you seen, trade Glass now and, and Meadows for.
1: But if I was to pull up a random quick pitch, circa twenty fifteen ish era. And Chris Archer, you know, is pitching against a division team. He's like, oh, he won seven innings, four runs, gave Solid. up two homers. It's like, yeah, it's, that's what I pretty much expect from Chris Archer. Mm-hmm. I know his stats are better than that, but yeah, I feel
0: like I've watched that start on quick pitch, you know, yeah. a dozen times mm-hmm. from him. So, And then what do you think about the, the Newman-Tucker combo? Uh, Civil War. All right. <laughs> so now we'll move on. Sink or float? Uh, looking forward, because, I don't know. I mean, we're not at ice cream in the baseball helmet season yet for Noah Hiles, but I think we're approaching it, just looking at the writing on the walls like we talked about last episode. Unless if there's a major change, unless Trevor Williams can get back quickly, unless if, you know, Archer and Musgrove just— Trevor's
1: thrown off a mound.
0: Yeah, I mean, they got to do something early June. I think they got to do—I mean, they play well on the road, so you never know. They could, yeah. they could, they could sweep the Marlins, win both series in uh, Atlanta and in, in Milwaukee, and they're right back in the conversation. If that's the case, then I guess we're we're not really thinking about twenty twenty yet. But right now, thinking about twenty twenty, going into the off season, assuming that they have the team that they have, really, you know, you have Bell, you have the young middle infielders with like Frazier, Newman, Gonzalez, Tucker. Then you have Hayes and Moran, Diaz behind the plate, and you have your outfield, probably going to say goodbye to Dickerson. Maybe you have Melky, maybe not, but you've got Polanco, Marte, Reynolds, Martin. Um, w- the biggest need long-term for the Pirates right now is pitching, sink or float. Starting pitching.
1: Starting pitching, I'm going to say that sinks.
0: That sinks? That sinks. I, I think if they were to make one big signing next offseason, what position would you want to see it at? Well, what's your definition of big signing? If they were to spend $15 million on one player, what position would you want to see it at? Not, not like, in arbitration with Josh Bell. Like, yeah. I'm saying, like, bring in someone else. $15 million a year, probably, like, what is that? Probably the like highest-paid player for the Pirates since... It's since... Kutch? I don't know if Kutch ever made $15 with Yeah. Pirates. Okay, so there you go. Maybe ever. So, mm-hmm. let's say they, they signed a guy... For a three-year deal worth $45, 45 million, what position do you want that player to be? I mean... Starting pitcher has to be, right? I, I would say actually catcher, but I don't
1: think there is that theoretical free agent catcher who's going to be... I think that's going to be their biggest weak point going into 2020. Maybe a one-year deal for like a Mike Moustakis if you're not 100% sold on Cabrian being ready in the majors, which I think he will be at that so, point, but... So,
0: but what's your position? I'm not talking individual players. I'm just saying... A position if someone came if up to you and said you have one, you have 15 million, you have 15 million dollars a year to sign one position. What, what position are you doing that for? What's your big guy? Well, so, catcher it, is it? Is it catcher? It I know catcher is where they have the least depth, but yeah, I that, think that's that why I put
1: money, but I don't think there is a 15 million dollar catcher. On the market, if the, if you're really what if if you're really putting a gun to my head, then I would say yeah. Then you put you know it in starting pitching because then you could trade you know another one of your starters. Mm-hmm. It, it gives you that freedom to do that. I get that, but honestly, I think this team in 2020 doesn't look as hopeless as you know we've seen you know at this point this year because 2020 you'll have most likely unless they decide to trade Marte, you'll have a Reynolds Marte. A uh, Polanco outfield, which mm-hmm. is a, which I think plays pretty good. You'll have that Tucker Hayes all defense left side of the infield, and maybe that could you know hit a little bit. You'll have Josh Bell who's still hitting well, and that rotation, when healthy, could be really good. And I think they'll have better death pieces. They have Chad Coolback. They'll have Chad, Kulback, they'll have Chad Keller will be major league yeah. ready. They'll, Edgar Santana will be back off the IL. I think the team's in good position for 2020. So that I don't think that there is you know a Grab someone by the ears and be like, "You cannot! There, you have such weak spots." Like we did this past off season, mm-hmm. whenever they completely misread the free agent market and they traded for Eric Gonzalez and re-signed Jung Ho Gung before the off season got started. Instead of seeing, you know, what would happen, and you like Jose Iglesias and Mike Wiestakis end up signing for well within their price range. Mm-hmm there's no way that you could convince me that Mike a uh, guaranteed Mike Boustakis at $10 million would have been a worse investment than wildcard Jung Ho Gong at yeah. 2.5 and Escalators. It's...
0: All I right. think that's the real problem right now. I don't... So, you I don't think, think... I just think that one big pitcher... Say, one big pitcher would make the Pirates coming into next year a real, real team. Because, like, again, you're going to have Tyone back, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, you know, you... I just, I just think that like that one solid pitcher, you'll get a couple other solid guys. Like I think that Williams is very reliable. I think that J-Mo, when healthy, is obviously reliable. Musgrove, hopefully we'll get past this. I have another take on that. Um, I guess it never came up, but so we'll do another sinker float. Uh, Musgrove reliable. You have reliable guys, but if you could get like another J-Mo type guy, that. And you have the freedom to not deal with Archer's struggles anymore. You have the freedom to use other guys in different ways. Maybe move Chad Cool to the bullpen. I don't know, but you have that depth. I think that one big starting pitcher would push them to the next ne- next level. But the problem is, who is it? I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm. I just pulled up like pitchers next year who don't have options, or uh, anyone who takes an opt out is not going to be in the Pirates' price range. But we're talking like for 15 million ish, uh. Hinjin Ryu? I would take that. Maybe Zach Wheeler? Maybe. I, I would Look, take either of those my, guys. If, if $15 million, if we had this, it should have been spent this past offseason.
0: Well, I mean, you can't change the past. I know you
1: can't change the past. And I, and I saw Endgame again last yeah. night,
0: so. so maybe oh, you there can. you go. Maybe <laughs> you can in the Marvel Universe. Um, I would take either of those guys, though. You wouldn't take either of those guys? Oh, over would, over who else who else could you oh, get I, who else could I you bring in to make a team one of those I would take one of those guys
1: I'm gonna just peek at catchers real fast yeah now.
0: go ahead because I think yeah I mean Ryu is like the best pitcher in the National League right now Ryu also, and he's like yeah. pitching out of his mind so he's probably going to be out of that price range but like a Zach Wheeler add that into the rotation I'm fine with that have him replace Jordan Lyles or is Lyles a two-year deal Lyles is a one-year deal. Okay, so yeah, you have him take Lyles' spot, and... Yeah, I'm, really
1: I'm f- Lyles for the right price.
0: I mean, yeah, but, like, just add that depth. I'm totally fine with that, man. I'm totally fine with that deal. You, but you know what? I think I,
1: I just looked at the catchers. If I have that $15 million, I'm giving it to Yasmany Grandal.
0: Yeah, I mean, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? That would be. That would be, but I just... He's going to get more than it's that. It's almost else.
1: like the Pirates should have spent money this offseason whenever their, all their talent was still pre-yard before we have this conversation whenever they hit arbitration for the first year. Golly gee. Yep. What? Hard-hitting baseball
0: analysis. All right. So, second sinker float.
1: Joe Musgrove's hurt. I, I, that's, that floats. I buy it. Something's not right.
0: Joe Musgrove is a dude who is a freaking warrior. He is a good teammate. And he's one tough son of a gun. Mm-hmm. All right? I'm sure something is not right with him right now. The velocity's down. He's getting crushed. All year, but... He's getting crushed. I think he looks around in that clubhouse and sees all of his friends on the IL. And says, I can't do this. I can't do this to this team. And he's just literally taking one for the team. And I would not be shocked as soon as Trevor Williams comes back to see Musgrove placed on the IL. Would not be shocked one bit. I, I don't
1: think it's that exaggerated, because if the Pirates are letting him pitch hurt, then that, is, that would be the indictment on the medical staff.
0: They let they would... Jameis and Tyone pitch hurt all through spring. Well, well, and all through... Well, did j Mo tell anyone? Who says Musgrove's telling anyone. Okay. That's my point. Okay.
1: Okay, if Musgrove's not telling him. But if the team knows... Then, then yeah, that's the... Okay, someone's head needs to roll.
0: At yeah. that moment. I mean, someone's head still should know. Like, it's your job to be like, hey, you don't look like yourself. Yeah. Like, your job is literally to care about the, the physical health of these guys. How can you not pick up on that? I don't know. So, you think that one floats? That I, I think
1: cert- something's not right. I don't know if it's like a full-blown injury, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's just like a mechanical thing.
0: Okay. Um... Next segment is uh, how did baseball F up this week? Yeah. We haven't he's... done this in a while. This is actually sad, but, um, I mean, yeah, it's something that I, I want to talk about. It's the, uh, was it, Albert Amora? Yeah, Junior. With junior the Cubs, with the Cubs. Hits a foul ball in Houston, um, and it hits a fan, like a small child. She seems to be okay, right, from all the reports I've seen it. They said she was yeah. like, all right. Scary moment. Scary moment for anyone. I mean, Alex and I don't have kids. Uh, but, you know, we have younger cousins. And yeah. at the end of the day, we, like, we can acknowledge the fact that, like, kids are pretty cool. You know, they're they're pretty innocent. They're children. Like, they don't deserve to be hurt. And no, no fan should deserve to be at risk uh, when they're being entertained. You know? I mean... This is a game where uh, a a ball to the head can kill you. That's why they wear helmets when they bat. That's why there's a netting behind the backstop. Uh, and a foul ball fouled off right behind home plate is not going anywhere near as fast as a screaming line drive hitting the first couple rows on the baselines. And that's what we saw here. And... The MLB did a good job of putting nets up to the dugouts uh, beforehand, but it, it's clearly time to expand that. And I just don't understand why that's such a hard decision to make. I'm I'm surprised whenever they did expand
1: it that they didn't take it further than just the dugouts. And I I know there's uh, curmudgeons on the internet who will say, "Well, that's not the purity of the game," you know. I don't
0: understand how that's not. The I
1: don't part. I I like I don't care. I literally don't care we see professional ball players get eaten up by fast
0: by line drives hit this hard like their job is literally they, to have like the best reflexes in the world and field it and if they can't do it can't, some 5 year old look playing probably like Fortnite on her mom's iPhone is not going to have a chance
1: no no they're not and it's just just put the fence up like uh, I— the home run, the bleachers—that's fair game. That's gonna take a couple seconds to get out.
0: So, yeah, you deserve it. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't deserve it, but um, like you have plenty of time to see that one coming. Like that, yeah. like like four or five seconds. Unless if you know it's Josh Bell, then just just pray, get out of the way, and start praying. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think. But it, it should
1: be expanded. Maybe all the way to the foul pole. I don't know how far... I'm sure there is, like, a part where it's like, okay, balls hit here generally safer. Okay. Okay, but I, I don't get how people are so against, like, no, it doesn't need expanded any further, and this is one more inch, and I'm, and I'm gonna not go to games anymore, and, you know... Well, then don't go. You know, well, I mean...
0: Seriously! That's... Well, my thing is... go at that point. Like, there's so many there's so much data and science in the game of baseball. Now they can find out like the most common exit velocity for foul balls. And like they could probably tell you exactly like what seat you're at where you're noticeably more safe. Like how far like the, the ball is not gonna be coming at you screaming fast in the front row in section one hundred thirty one in PNC Park. You know, because you're, like, right by the foul line. Do you maybe put the nets all the way down on the foul line? I don't know. Or maybe just put them right where, like, the outfield lines up normally. With, like, 50 yard, maybe 50 feet to go to the outfield fence. Maybe put it at least on the edge of the infield dirt. Something. Yeah. Just expand it a little bit. I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't understand why this is such a no-brainer. Everyone talks about not being able to see. The best seat in baseball is behind home plate.
1: Yeah. The like, best
0: seat ever- in baseball is behind home plate and... Like, think of other sports, like NFL. You sit behind the goalpost, or, you know, there's, like, literally poles in your yeah. way, and you still go there. There's a net behind the goalpost as well. You still see the game fine. Hockey games.
1: Whenever there's a any show
0: gets this right. There's a freaking glass wall around the entire playing surface.
1: Yeah.
0: And people still see through that. Those are actually the good seats sitting behind the glass wall. And then there's netting over top. I've been to a lot of hockey games and not once have I been like, man, I didn't see that because of the darn netting. The netting is it's cheap. It's thin. You can't even tell the difference after your eyes adjust to it in like literally 2 seconds. And the only people that would complain about it are, you know, old old stubborn people who just want it to be 1950 again and it's because it hasn't happened to their family. And they can't grasp the concept that it could at any time. It could be them.
1: The only people who are complaining about this are the people who complain about everything.
0: You just don't The, the
1: miserable, The miserable people of the world that just cannot take any joy and see the pros and cons. The pro being maybe I could get the tiniest iota better view of a game from a seat that I will never sit in. Versus the con of a, someone's going to die. Yeah. One day a kid is going to die. I mean,
0: they have fences in front of the dugouts. Now, if they're protecting the player, I mean, for how long did you just have open dugouts? Yeah. And then you just get a whole bunch of screaming line drive foul balls in there, and the players are like, hey, this isn't safe. Why shouldn't the fans have that same amount of protection? And this, this nonsense of they should be paying attention to the game, blah, blah, blah. Some people, even if you are ready for it, can just never catch a 105 mile per hour baseball coming straight at them. They just do not have the capability to make that happen. Yeah. Protect them, protect them. It is that simple. Sure, you know what? And like, I, I, I feel the one thing that makes me a little sad when I think about it is like the autographs, blah, blah, blah. and like you could still do that in the outfield, or you could freaking just raise the nets during, like, the national anthem, or, like, right as they're taking the field to warm up, you could put the nets down, especially down, like, the baselines, if you were to do it all the way to the foul pole, you could drop the nets and literally raise it, like, in between innings. If they can do it for NFL games, where they could just raise it for an extra point, there's so much dead time in baseball, you could raise those nets and drop them whenever you want. You could get that authentic, you know, fan's getting autographs down the baseline experience, you could get all of that. So it's, it's not that hard of a concept to me. I don't know. It's,
1: I don't know if they'll be able to pull off the race because they're usually, the netting is usually like tied in some way into the, like, the infrastructure of the stadium. Yeah. Whatever, nice thought. But I, I mean, we put a
0: person know. on the moon in 1969, yeah. so like, we could figure it out. It would be my guess. I don't know. Maybe not originally, but I, I just think you could probably figure it out at some point in time. At some point, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, and at the end of the day, an autograph could be worth a lot, not, not worth a life. No. No, it no it's not. I was going to make a joke, but... There, there is no... There is no joke. Yeah. And if I, if I did make it, Alex would make me cut it out. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I guess we'll wrap up the show now. Bold predictions, Alex. Bold prediction for, you know, next time we see each other. What's going to happen? Uh, Mitch Keller is back in the rotation.
1: He's gonna make that start Friday. That's my bold prediction.
0: Okay, uh, bold prediction. What is Noah gonna predict? That's bold. What is Noah gonna predict? That's bold. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, 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 do. I'm gonna say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm pa- I'm panicking. I'm panicking. You
1: know what? I wing my bold prediction. I totally forgot we were gonna do this.
0: I'm gonna say uh, pirates win two games by more than five runs. By the next time we speak to each other oh my on a podcast. Pythagoras is erupts in joy. All right. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Alex J. Stump at Noah underscore Hiles. Be sure to check out our sponsors. Of course, No Negations and Slice on Broadway. Um, be sure to like, rate, subscribe, share, review, do all of that. Um, we're going to keep bringing you the content. You just got to keep listening to it. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and if you're ever at the ballpark, be sure to hit us up. Uh, until then, we sign off as always. Saying, let's go, Bucks.